This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Thank you for joining another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. I've been really excited lately with the feedback that we've been getting, and especially the fact that some people have jumped over to iTunes and left some five-star reviews. So if you're a regular listener of the show and you've never left a review, it just makes my whole day better when I see somebody has left a new review. So do me a favor and, and jump over and give some love to the show over on iTunes. And I want to jump right into today's interview. I think we have a first. I have a former NFL player. Lou Agostino played for the Jets. He also was in the XFL and Arena Football Leagues, and now he is a powerhouse in the corporate insurance world. And so I ran into him recently when I was the speaker at an event for Business Insurance Magazine. They gave out their 40 Under 40 awards, kind of the top people under 40, and one of Lou's business partners was a recipient of that. And so I had the opportunity to meet him and have a long conversation, and I said, you know what? You're the exact type of person that I want to have on cool things entrepreneurs do. So, Lou D'Agostino, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Tom. And uh, I'm really excited about uh, the opportunity to speak to you and be part of your podcast. And uh, I can't thank you enough. So, Well, as far, uh, as far as I know, you're the first NFL player I've ever had on the show. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. You know, I thought I thought my story, you know, I think my story is unique. I don't want it to be too self-serving, but the transition from playing professional sports for a couple of years and transitioning into business presents, you know, a, a unique set of challenges. But I also think that it's it's uh, it's exciting at the same time, and you know I may I might have some some unique perspectives on on different things, and I always think that uh, that that you know my my story is kind of unique in a couple of different ways. But again, I we're, we're, I'm just real excited that you know, I met you, and I'm excited to be part of the podcast today. Well, I appreciate that. So you are a partner with Iron Cove Partners. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about what it is you do now that you're off the football field? Sure. Just just about 15 years ago, I had a degree in finance, had some equities licenses as far as the ability to trade stock on an exchange or execute stock transactions. And I just really had no idea, though, after playing what I was going to do. And I kind of fell backwards into the insurance industry at that time. Uh, I, I didn't know much about the industry when I fell into it, but I just knew that football was over for me. It was time that I had to kind of change gears and, and switch careers. And uh, you know, friend of a friend, I had an interview on a Monday with a company that was an insurance agency broker. And on that subsequent Monday, following Monday, I had gotten a job there, a kind of low-level, entry-level job, and uh, you know, got into the insurance business. And that was 15 years ago. I mean, I'll leave out a lot of the details about my history and my prior company. But uh, five years ago, we started uh, a new agency called Iron Cove Partners with a specific focus in a certain industry segment as far as our ability to provide insurance brokerage services to companies in finance. So really what that is, is we do every, we handle every line of insurance business for companies in the financial service industry, as well as other types of industries. Um, 
insurance brokerage. I mean, that could be anything from placing employee benefits coverage and health insurance to a property and casualty policy for a typical business who leases space in an office building. And then the more specialty lines of coverage where if you're serving on a board of directors or you have a, a service-based business where you require errors and omissions coverage. So the full gamut of insurance products, we have that ability to place. We work for our end clients and getting them the best price and the best coverage. But it's a business that we've been in for 15 years, uh, that I've been in 15 years. And now our new company, which is about five years old, is, uh, is, is Iron Cove. And the gentleman that you met the other night is, just was awarded one of the uh, up-and-coming business leaders in the insurance industry, and Greg Sibilio, and he's our kind of co-head of, of brokerage and has a legal background. And, uh, you know, so just uh, you know, don't mean to get off on a tangent there, but just a little bit about kind of our company and Iron Cove and who we are and what we do. Um, insurance is one of those industries that, uh, you know, we cast such a wide net. I think there are Folks, I think everybody really understands maybe auto insurance or home insurance lines and that type of risk transfer or protection. But some of the more business, the business insurance lines and the more complex lines uh, of insurance that that are required for businesses just to operate on a daily basis uh, is a really interesting part of the business that I think I was attracted to 15 years ago, and and uh, I kind of saw some unique opportunities and just I, I stayed with it. So, so what um, led you to sort of breaking off from the company you were with before? to help sort of start this company. I mean, that's that's sort of something I know because I actually was in the insurance business for about a minute and a half and I know a lot of people who who serve in that corporate insurance world. You know, not a lot of people say, hey, I'm going to go start my own brokerage and sort of grow this in a niche area. What was it that sort of led you to say, hey, I could work for this company or I could go be more entrepreneurial? You know, I think, which was some of the things that I kind of, on the, on, on the athletic feels. I had a certain kind of passion and energy in everything I did. I only, only, you know, people always say they laugh. They say, you have one speed. It's either on or off. There's no (laughs) kind of in the middle with you. You just, you just go a hundred miles an hour. And, you know, when I got into the insurance business, you know, 26 going on 27 years old, I felt like I had some catching up to do. And I really just entrenched myself in what I was doing. And and very quickly, you know, I kind of learned the industry. I learned the product. I, I was really fascinated by what all the different businesses that we serve and what they did and how they made money. So I really kind of was just going at it, I think, at just a different speed. And shortly thereafter, I started to build relationships and really I was aggressive in my, um, and and not to be uh, still consultative, but extremely I felt aggressive in going out there and forging new relationships. And after only a handful of years, I was really starting to build kind of the company's book of business. I was growing their book, but I was also growing kind of my own book of business within the firm and, um, you know, just kind of forging ahead before I, before I knew it, I, I had built something pretty substantial within an existing company. And, and I did a lot of different things when I was there. So I did, not only did I try to attract and bring the business in, but I serviced it. I had the relationships with the insurance companies and the underwriters. I learned the product. So I really felt like I was well-equipped to, uh, you know, to, to, to handle this. And I think I always had that kind of entrepreneurial spirit. I've always treated the business as if it were my own, even though I was working for a larger organization. And I, I think I just got to a kind of critical juncture where I said to myself, from just a pure security standpoint, you know, hey, this is a privately held company that you're working for. It's a family owned business. Uh, the chances of you ever really becoming more than what you are right now are probably pretty limited, still relatively young. And if you ever going to just take a risk now would probably be the time. And there were some changes going on within the company. There was a lot of turnover. 
And it was just a, a moment in time that I just knew, you know, I knew it was right. Wasn't sure, I, you know, everybody has, there's always uncertainty and it wasn't like this was being planned, but it was just a point in time where I knew I, I was time for me to go and it was time for me to start to build something. And there was a very unique window there for me. And uh, that's what kind of made me say. So I always kind of felt like, and I treated the business as if it were my own. Everything I did when I was working at my predecessor firm, I always, I was an ambassador for their company. I was out there trying to hire and recruit new people. And I treated the business from day one as if it were my own. And I wanted to be conscious of cost and I wanted to be conscious of generating new business. So um, just, I, and I always think in, in, in my in my heart, I had a spirit of building. Um, there's nothing I'm more proud of than progress. You know, no matter how small, I just enjoy the progress and I enjoy building. So it was something I think I've always wanted to do. And, um, you know, this, I very quickly, I kind of knew that this was a, more of a career for me than just a job and a stop. Um, I, I just really did enjoy what I was doing. And I, till this day, I, 15 years later, I enjoy, I enjoy it every day. So I wonder if there's a correlation, because the more I think about this, the more there's a lot of examples of former professional athletes who go out and sort of start their own business, whether it's in finance or insurance or the car dealerships, uh, you know, commercial real estate. There's all kinds of examples of really successful entrepreneurs who came out of professional sports. Do you think there's something with being able to achieve at the level, you know, in high school and college that gets you to the NFL? Do you think there's something inherent in that that translates over to being a good entrepreneur? Well, you know, well, that's a great point. And, you know, I think there are certain players like, look, I was not, I was an undrafted free agent. So <laughs> everything I did, I had to work for, I had to grind. And I think very early on, I dealt with with a lot of adversity, a lot of disappointment, you know, and there's a couple of things you have, you, you have choices in those moments. I mean, you either say, all right, this isn't for me, or you just kind of learn forever and ever how to kind of get up and try again. I mean, I think, and that's inherently what sales is, right? Dealing with a hundred no's until you get that yes, or being okay with the disappointment, but you start to, you, you know, you develop work habits. So I definitely think for some of the, you know, later round picks or guys who sign in the NFL as a free agent and they learn how to work and they realize how hard it is not only to get into that, get to that level, but to stay there you know, you do or you are developing, there are certain patterns and things that you're developing that will serve you well in the business world. But I, but more importantly, I think a focus for those guys has to be even while they're playing or, or before they're playing is that that skill set that is, is it transferable? Like what skills are you honing even while you're playing that will transfer into the business arena and that will serve you well if you decide to do something on your own. Like a lot of guys, you know, if they make a lot of money and then want to maybe start a business, they have, you know, they're, they're headline guys, they have a lot of name recognition and they could surround themselves with guys that, uh, or people that could assist them in building a business. But for guys who can kind of do it on their own, they have to have the the entire set of skills that are necessary to kind of build a successful business. Um, and I think that's where some of the guys uh, or players rather who are, who are playing now, I mean, if I had advice for those guys, it's what are you doing now that's going to help you build a, from, from, a, from, a, from a written or verbal communication standpoint or from your ability to go out and speak to groups of people? Uh, what are you doing on a daily basis that's going to help you build something when you're done, you know? Um, so, you know, that that's, if I had to say, if there's a handful of things or a handful of traits that some of the guys have, it's, you know, it's going to be, you know, their ability, their work ethic, um, their, their, their ability to deal with disappointment, that the, their, their ability to just kind of constantly deal with adversity um, and deal with pressure based situations. You know, I think football in a way is a microcosm of what we deal with every day from, you know, there's a saying I have, I even talked to some of my teams about it, like pressure is a privilege that ability to deal with pressure
pressure and have a meaningful situation that we could all find a way to deal with. I mean, some people go through life never having to deal with that kind of pressure. And, and, you know, and you could argue that in football scenarios and situations when your job is on the line every day, I mean, you're dealing with pressure nonstop. And that does prepare you for those situations, whether you're, you know, somebody like yourself who's dealing, you know, speaking in front of a large group of people about a topic that may be unique to yourself or, or if I have a presentation in front of a board of directors or a presentation at a large trade show where I'm speaking to a large group of people, you know, these are our, you know, our business, inherent business lives are on the line at every critical moment or our ability to close that sale or bring in that new client. So I felt like I was really prepared for those situations. And I also learned how to prepare from playing too. You know, one of the things you learn a lot about is is that preparation going into any any competition. And it's something where you see the level of detail and how much folks prepare going into a competition. And that carries over because every business meeting, every conference call, or everything is about preparation and being ready for that moment. Absolutely. And, you know, I think all the time, professional athletes would never get on the field without having practiced, without being prepared. And yet I find it in the business community, people do it all the time. I talk to business leaders who are, they're going to have to give a speech and they know that I do this professionally and I'll talk to them about it. They're like, yeah, I'm just going to wing it. And I'm like, oh no, 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 no. You know, if you were a professional golfer or a professional baseball player or a football player, you wouldn't just like sit around and drink beer all week. And then on Sunday say, yeah, I'm going to get out on the field and wing it. I mean, it's all about the practice and sort of that muscle memory to be able to deliver it. And yet in business, whether it's giving a speech or going out and making a sales call, somehow people think that there's a difference that they can just go and wing it. And I, it makes me cringe. Well, you, you know, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And I think for a little while, you know, I think there's a certain comfort level. Folks have done things over and over and over again. So they think they can be in critical moments and just kind of, like you said, wing it. But you, know, you you have to have a plan. You have to be prepared. You have to be, and unless you could always deviate. You could always deviate because sometimes you're forced to, but it's still nice to go in with a plan. And and I always say too, there's no such thing as, you know, I think it was Bill Parcells who said it and he might have taken it from somebody else. But one of our first meetings that we had, first ever football meetings, you know, we're just a bunch of kind of, you know, college kids, or kids coming out of school and we show up to one of his first football meetings and he goes, listen, guys, you wouldn't go into a business meeting, uh, you know, in the business world without a paper, you know, pad and a pen. How many of you guys just walked into one of my meetings with, with nothing like so <laughs> you're not even taking notes and then he talked about there's no such thing as luck it's when preparation and and preparedness meets opportunity so and i you know i have examples of that you know i have an example of you know the former ceo of the company that i worked for is only there two years and uh you know on a whim he decides to grab me like on a, a at 11 o'clock on a on a weekday morning and says you're coming to me you're coming with me on this sales meeting and I want you to talk to the client. And, and, and I sit there and go, you know, for weeks prior to that, just on my own, I sat there and I went through a series of policies that the, the, the insurance market provided to a certain industry. And I just did it because I want, I was like, you know what, I want to learn all of these different policies. I want to learn all the nuances and on my own free time, you know, I made a couple of spreadsheets and I was just doing a matrix of uh, all of the different you know, insurance companies. And, and, and I use this, it was supposed to be just a resource for me personally, but nobody had asked me to do this. I was just kind of thinking outside the box and lo and behold, on a whim, you know, the CEO of you know, one of the largest privately held, uh, you know, insurance brokers in the country grabs me, doesn't know anything about what I know or don't know and walks me into a meeting with one of the, you know, a pretty large asset management firm. 
And now I'm sitting in front of you know, a very sophisticated insurance purchaser who's a chief financial officer. And the chairman just says, you know, just kicks the meeting over to me and has me talk about all the nuances <laughs> of the contract. And I look at the insurance contract and I just in my, you know, after that situation, I said, there really is no, you know, somebody would say, well, I'll lose lucky guy. He got to go with the CEO on a meeting and ended up closing that deal. And, you know, so the outside, the optics of it is they know people think I'm just lucky. Right. But nobody realized that I was I inherently prepared myself for that moment. And, and it wasn't by any other means besides and I didn't know that was going to happen. But I really dealt, you know, I really took ownership of my work as an associate at that point who was making you know, very, very little money. I certainly wasn't, I certainly wasn't making the money that I probably deserved based on the hours I was putting in, but that didn't matter to me because I was just entrenched in what I was doing. So, um, you know, that was a moment that I even talked to when I talked to some, some, some of the younger guys who said, look, there's no such thing. You always prepare for that. You know, you always have to be ready for that moment when, when it, when it, when it kind of appears and all those little things that you do by just caring kind of will eventually just kind of come to the top. So, well, and um, it's true. A lot of people look at people who, whatever their industry is and they go, Oh, they were so lucky. They were in the right place at the right time, or they had the right parents or they had this, this or that. And the reality is, is that most of the people I know who have continued success, they're wildly prepared and, you know, they're looking for those opportunities where, as you said, you know, preparation and opportunities meet, you know, they don't just happen by accident. They're looking for them. And when they, when they happen, they're able to pull out, you know, that training or, you know, that one special skill that they have and they're able to lay it out. And, you know, people tell me I'm lucky all the time. I, I wanted to go out and become a professional speaker. And I had a lot of friends who kind of rolled their eyes at me and people for years said, when are you going to get a real job? And now that I've been making my living for six and a half years doing this, you know, there's people who say, oh, you're so lucky. And it's like, I don't think it was lucky at all. I think it was, you know, I was really driven to do it. And then I took the risks and, you know, I made it all come together. Now, it just as easily could have not worked. So I do think that there is, you know, some sense of, of things having to, to line up. But at the same time, I don't think that opportunity just falls from the sky and lands in people's laps. Yeah, well, you manifested that into something that you wanted to happen. I mean, as my own opinion, I mean, it's something that you, you put your sights on. And you took some risk. You felt like you, you were confident in your skill set in order to make that transition. And it was, it was, it, and obviously, and, and it's worked for you. But it's not by accident either. You're out there. You're connecting dots. You're meeting the right people. Um, you, you, you know, you're doing, you're doing all the right things. So, well, absolutely. Yeah, I, I don't think anything's by accident. You and know? I met um, you at this insurance industry event, and I've already had two people call me to possibly speak for their companies to their teams. And again, that wasn't luck. It's that afterwards, I had conversations. I got their card. I followed up with them. And you know, it's you know, you could say, oh, well, that's lucky. You were in the right place where there were people who you know were looking for training. Well, you know, maybe. But I also think that I, you know, I took the initiative to make sure that I stuck. Around around and had conversations with people. And a lot of my peers, a lot of speakers, their greatest skill is after they say, thank you very much, they find their way to the airport faster than anybody you've ever met. And I think sticking around and hanging out at the cocktail party is exactly the way I get additional business. And I think that's true in your business is you can't just sell one policy. You got to stick around and see what's coming around the next corner. No, uh, it, listen, absolutely. Um, if it's just a job, um, if it was purely just a job and you didn't care, um, very much like I said, how we came into, into connection. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of those stories that you probably have, like the way I do, where somebody said, well, how did you meet, how did you, how did you meet that first client of yours? 
And then from there, there's so many different degrees of, of separation, but I could always trace my entire, almost, almost my entire business back to like three or four key connections. <laughs> yep. When uh, I went to a trade show and I, I waited for a guy for, to come off the stage to introduce myself and meet him for the first time. And then I followed up or, or I sent him something in a, instead of sending it in a letter, I sent it in a tube because I felt like he would open the tube or I sent it in a different color envelope because I read that somewhere that, it, that maybe that'll work. But just to get his attention and just so that I can follow up and ask him if he got my, you know, my card and my purple envelope, you know, these are all little things that you try, uh, but, but you, you recognize, but you're, you're, you're ingrained in your craft. I mean, it's not just going to happen. You know, you're, you're, you have, I feel like, I feel like, you know, just like kind of how we met, you know, you have to take that initiative. You have to hang around. You have to make sure you're, you're kind of meeting new people and, and nurturing some of the old relationships. So yep. it's, you know, it's imperative. Um, you always have to be, be growing and meeting new folks and, and taking care of the, the people that take care of you. You always have to be, you know, finding time for that stuff. So, so Lou, what do you absolutely love? about the entrepreneurial slice of your life? Because you easily probably could have come out of playing football and gone and gotten a job and just checked in and, you know, then checked out every night. But what do you love about being that entrepreneurial person who's growing your own future? Well, yeah, I definitely think the the growth is part of it. Uh, something I talked about earlier is just the the building something. I think there's so so much pride that somebody can take in just building something and, and having ownership of that. I think that's part of it. I do think there's there's a security aspect to it as well. I mean, we could all probably make the argument. People talk about job security all the time, and I, I do I do really wonder how secure someone's job is when they work for somebody else. And they're, not at you know, all. They're, they're an at will employee of a company, and you know if there's cutbacks <laughs> or setbacks, or if they're not really aligned with the right kind of people. I I just didn't see that as. Uh, a secure future and a you know job real job security. So and you're absolutely right. I got laid off seven times in a 20 year career working for other people, and I was never fired. I was never the problem. I worked for companies that either entirely went out of business, or they pulled out of Texas, or they had massive layoffs because of the recession and laid off a huge chunk of their staff. It was never Tom sucks. It was this is the financial implications of the entire larger organization, and because of that, I realized that there is no job security. And that if I wanted to be secure and provide my family with opportunities, I was going to have to find a way to do it. I'm with you 100%. And not only that, you know, if you're working in the structure and the type of industry I was in as well, and not to keep and this could apply other places, but you come to rely on the culture and the people around you. And when you get a sense at a very high level that they're not being taken care of or there's not a sense where the, the employees really matter. I mean, you could say, you could argue that the only real, the only asset in somebody's company that can appreciate and value are its own employees. And when they're, when they're not taken care of, you, you really, you, you, you got a high degree of turnover with a culture now that is somewhat disgruntled. And when you have to rely on those folks for the future of your business, it really starts to make you think. So not only is it a security issue, but it's also a cultural issue. And there were a lot of things that I just thought were, um, were, were that I could put a unique footprint on that I could have more ownership of. Um, and that I could, you know, so these are, these are all kind of part and parcel of some of the reasons why it was just time. And it was time for me to kind of go out, go out on my own. Um, and, and one of the things I do love is, as I say, the freedom, uh, but but freedom was a part of that. So you'd security, uh, th- there was a certain amount 
of freedom where I have, I'm the father of four. I have a sports background. And I, and in many, many years ago, I said to myself, I said, I want to be around for my kids. I want to be able to coach them in certain sports. And, uh, you know, now that I can kind of, you know, on days where I know I got a coach, I can get in the office real early, get all my work done, still have the ability in today's, today's technical, you know, with all today, all, all the technology we have to still communicate with clients, but have that ability and that freedom and flexibility to be around my kids during these kind of these these really important years and, and and be able to shape them and influence them, you yep. know, with their sports, um, which which I think is great for them. There's so many you know teachable moments for them. So I've been able to be around them for the last you know five years because and it, of and it goes fast because I tell people you know I have a I have a daughter who left for college this year and you know you don't think about it when they're five and six or seven and you try not to think about it when they're sixteen. But all of a sudden, they're 18 and they move, you know, 1,500 miles away. And I haven't seen her since August. And it's like, wow, that's a, you know, that's a big change. So that time goes fast. So I think that's one of the huge advantages to either working for yourself or, or being in sales where you have that type of flexibility where if you're good, no one's going to complain that you're at the football game. Right. So, absolutely. Absolutely. So there was definitely something that was important to me. And uh, that, that financial freedom, freedom, security, those are all things that uh, and, and the ownership of and, and the ability to kind of put your own touch and feel and make things better. I always kind of looking to tweak things and improve things and make them better. So these are all ways that I can now be involved in my own business and, and, and shape uh, how we do things. So Lou, I've got some more questions for you, but first I've got to thank our sponsor. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. Podfly sets you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to assure that you sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing cool people like Lou. Hey, if you're interested in starting a podcast, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and look at the offer that they have for my listeners. So Lou, what advice do you have for somebody who wants to make that transition and go work for themselves? Sure. Well, some of the things we talked about earlier, uh, as far as just kind of preparation, you know, one of where I see people fall short coming from sports to business, I don't think folks realize when, when you're, you're kind of a young, you're a student, you're in college, you're playing a collegiate sport. There's so much structure provided for you. You're told what time to go to class. You're told what time study hall is. You're you're told what time practice is, what time weight training is, what time you have to go to bed. You know, people take that structure for, for granted. So people have success within the framework of a structure and leadership um, and then don't don't understand maybe why they don't have it when they get out of sport. Um, the accountability and everything that happens within the framework of a team or where, where an individual has success and then they leave, you have to on your own now create that structure that was always created for you. So what I see when I see kind of some guys are thinking about going into their own business, it's and now they have this time, they have this freedom. But what they don't do is they don't manage their time very well and they don't realize that all of that structure was already provided for them. And now if they don't recreate it on their own, they're going to kind of fall short or maybe not have the same level of success. Um, And then it's and it's obviously preparation. That's a that's a big part of it in, in so many different aspects, but that's pretty broad. Uh, you know, but when I, when I think about what folks could do, I mean, I think what makes me, me is that I'm always trying to tweak things to make them better. Every, in every kind of facet 
of the business and I'm constantly evaluating it to make sure like, how can we make this better? How can we tweak this? And you you look at things at a moment in time and, and every single year, I'm just constantly trying to figure out better ways that we can either communicate with clients, um, and provide better service or provide more information on existing products and things that they want to know about. So for us, it's just, I'm constantly trying to improve. So I think some, some combination of all those things in creating more structure, being prepared, and constantly trying to f- find ways to improve will, 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 will assist anybody trying to kind of go out there and uh, who is thinking about doing it. Uh, obviously, plan your transition. You know, for me, you had to make, I had to make sure that I had, you know, in today's day and age, it seems like you could open up a business and not need all of that kind of operating capital and, but you still have to bridge, um, a financial gap. You know, you still have to bridge, you have for, for a certain amount of time and you have to know what that's going to look like. You know, if you didn't make any money for the first six months to a year, you know, what does that look like? So, but that's all (laughs) part of that preparation. And can you bridge that gap? Because the one thing I never wanted to do is be late. The, the, the word salesperson is such a, I feel like it has such a negative stereotype. I don't want to be perceived as that. I want to be someone's trusted advisor and I want to be consultative in my approach. I do not want to hammer somebody for an insurance transaction. I'm about building relationships. And if I didn't build myself enough cushion to make a transition in our business, then I felt like I would have had to change my personality and my style um, because the you know I would have been at the mercy of having to make money rather than build something and do it the way I wanted to do it. So, and I think that's all part of the transition and the planning process and making sure that you could bridge that time and and don't underestimate that time. Uh, you know, <laughs> build. It's always, Amen. We, we always underestimate, right? Well, you when, know I, when I started I when I started my business, you know, I thought, oh, I could be up earning what I earned in corporate America within a year, and it took me close to three years. I mean, we hemorrhaged cash for two years, and I'm pretty open about that. Anybody who listens to the show, you know, I'll tell people we blew through savings, we blew through credit card debt, and, you know, a lot of people never mention that. They do it, but once they hit, you know, some moderate level of success, they act like it was magic fairy dust sprinkled on their butt. And I'm pretty honest with the fact that, you know, I underestimated how long it was going to take to get my business up and running. And, you know, I wish that I had had a, a much deeper set of uh, money in my bank, but but it wasn't there and I was able to make it work. But, you know, when people come to me and ask me for that advice, I agree with you that you have to you have to be honest about how long is it going to take. Right. And I think don't don't underestimate that right. either. I right. mean, plan for for it taking longer. And I think it just is for for me. It just allowed me to kind of stay in my lane and be who I was and not really change my style and my personality uh, for the wrong reasons. And that's something I've prided myself on from day one is we want to provide as much advice around operational risk as possible. We want to be someone's advisor as it relates to insurance. We don't want to just push and sell insurance product for the purposes of doing that. Um, and we want to make sure that we're doing the right things for our clients at the right times. And uh, that's that was part of it. No, that was absolutely part of it. That's excellent advice. Hey, I have a new section of the show called Three Pearls of Wisdom. And you don't know this is coming because it's only been on one other episode where I don't tell the guest in advance what I'm going to say. I want real quick answers to these three per- three pearls of wisdom. So okay. first, first of all, Lou, where do you find inspiration? Oh, wow. I mean, uh, from b- just business leaders, I have some folks kind of in my family. I actually, believe it or not, I have two 
two brothers. I'm one of three, and they both, in their own respective fields, have have become um, have done really you know really well. Um, they're real passionate about what they do. Uh, they kind of love and enjoy what they do. Um, so whether it's whether it's them, whether it's my immediate family, um, I think I'm just constantly being reminded on on why I do what I do. I think I look at my own immediate family every day. I have four children, um, my wife, and I realize why I do what I do. Um, you know, I really have embraced my role, uh, you know, as a father, as a husband, and. I'm, I'm in, I feel like I'm designing a life and not making a living. So uh, when I look at kind of all of those things, my, you know, my immediate family, my dad just being the, the worker he is, my mom and my immediate family and my brothers, um, those guys are just they're passionate at what they do. They're real good at what they do. And uh, I think we've all kind of have that same DNA. So we're all <laughs> always just trying to get better. So my second question is, how do you celebrate the victories? What do you do? Because you and your company, you're both really successful. How do you celebrate when you have a big win? Wow. Um, th- I think I fall short in that area and that's part of, it's probably one of my negative traits and it's not something I do well. And I have to, I, I have to remind myself and I'm like that in a lot of ways. Um, I think it makes me really good in certain areas and it makes me bad in other areas. And, uh, you know, it's like I, I'm a football coach now for my kids and they'll score a touchdown and I saw the two missed blocks and I didn't see the <laughs> touchdown, you know, I'm con- you know, so I have to constantly remind myself, I have to constantly remind myself of, of, you know, and I'm working on that. It's something I'm trying to acknowledge and work on. And, uh, so, so what do we do now? I mean, um, you know, whether it's kind of, a, I haven't really taken a vacation in a very long time, but we want to acknowledge and kind of this, the, the, the victories and the wins and especially internally with some of our staff and making sure that I acknowledge the, the hard, their hard work um, and that when we have a celebration, we, we, when we win an account or, you know, we, we want a hard renewal that we at least just, you know, whether it's verbal acknowledgement. But I, I really haven't created a system and maybe I, that's somewhere I have to seek some advice from some other folks. But uh, I don't. I don't have anything specific that I do that's to right. celebrate the good. That's right. Um, I think that's an area where a lot of entrepreneurs fall short, and that's why I right. love to ask that question. Is I think it catches a lot of people off guard because I think we forget that we've got to celebrate those wins, and it's easy sometimes to do it for other people. It's hard to do it for ourselves. Hey, and the last question is: If you had a new hire who was twenty-five years old, just coming into your business, and he or she asked you, "Hey, what's the best book you've ever read?" What would you tell him? Oh, wow. Um, God, uh, it's interesting that the think and grow, think and grow rich, um, or, you know, the millionaire next door or, you know, think and grow rich was definitely one that I think impacted me the most. And it was, there were so many just, I think little lessons on, uh, on success and what it takes to be successful. That was, I think, one of the first books. It's a classic. That, yeah, yeah, right, that I had picked up. And, you know, I want to say, if it's not that book, it was Rich Dad, Poor Dad that I had picked up. And in somewhere in one of those books in the back of it, there was like a recommended reading list, right? And I think it was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And in the back of it, there was like 14 books that that uh, the guy, gentleman's, the author's name was, was it Rob Kiyosaki? Yeah. And... I remember going on or going on Amazon like two days later and I didn't even have enough money to buy all the books. I put it on my credit card and all 14 that I can find the titles for, I ordered them. <laughs> and like one by one, I try to just read them, you know, and when you're, 
and that's something that I, I found that was, was because look, we all have only so many people in our, you know, as far as spheres of influence and people in our circle, I think at least I did. And the books were just gave me that ability to just learn so much from so many different people. I was, I probably had read more books in my first two or three years in the business world than I read my entire life before that. Uh, I just just ingrained myself in, in reading about success stories and what people did to grow and build their businesses. Or, and, and for some things, I think I found it, I found it to be validation that I was on the right path. And for some things, it was like, well, you're learning new things that you have to implement in your own life and different ways where you, you know, you could learn that you could learn from. So some of it was learning new things. And some of it is like, you know, I think we all get to a point where where we need that validation. If we don't necessarily have that mentor or somebody who's kind of guiding us, we look around and go, I'm, I'm in, I'm in uncharted territory here. (laughs) I don't really have anybody I could speak to. You know, I'm reading these books and I'm, I'm and trying to implement some of these things, but I don't really know. And then some of the books you read, you're like, okay, I'm doing that. So I am going in the right direction. So some of it, you know, so, so for me, uh, you know, as many of those types of books that you talked about, personal development, personal transformation type books that I could read and have and, and read about other people having success, that was, uh, that was that was key to me. I didn't know you were going to ask the question. But, uh, <laughs> I know. Yeah. I, I love yeah, to catch I, people I, off guard a little bit. You know, you can't have it all. You can't have no, all the questions great. in advance. Hey, we call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. So what's the coolest thing you and your company are doing right now? Wow. I, I don't know if this would necessarily be a, um, a cool thing, but, you know, I think with, with technology and insurance historically is a bit of an antiquated business, uh, you know, you can believe it or not. I mean, there's still folks that are just doing things the, the old way. Maybe there's a technology is a huge movement now. And one of the things we made a huge investment in this year was, was, was technology. And, uh, with the ability to automate certain processes, stay in front of our clients, uh, create more thought leadership and more, but also the analytics. Um, we have some technology now that provides us analytics that I think is kind of cutting edge. And, and really what that means is we, we have a lot of, we have a lot of different thought leadership pieces we put out there, whether it's an explanation or something that's trending, uh, with certain directors of companies or whether it's personal lines or you need to understand what's happening in the personal lines insurance market or why your rates might increase. But the great thing now is that if you're, you're specifically reading some of that stuff, I know instantaneously that I can provide you more of it. So the analytical feedback that I'm able to get based upon, and and mind you, we provide up to 40 to 50 different insurance products. So I could have a client that's interested in maybe cyber and data security, but I don't know when, but now we do. Now we do Mm -hmm. because if I'm providing that thought leadership in the form of a drip email or that I have it written on, written we wrote something on our blog and you're some, you know, Mr. Smith is reading it at a point in time. We now have that ability. Um, we now have that ability to now provide more stuff for Mr. Smith around what he specifically wants to know and read about and, or, or, or what he's concerned about. So I think from our company and investing in technology and having more of this, you know, analytical information and feedback is, yep. is definitely going to kind of put us ahead of the curve a little bit. And, you know, it's something that we're, we're very, you know, we're very excited about. I don't know if it's, 
exciting or new, <laughs> uh, but I feel like it will help us and help our clients at the same time. No, so, I, I think it's um, cool, especially when I deal with people who are in sort of the old and antiquated businesses. If you're not trying to be one step ahead, you're just a commodity. And I think that what you're doing is cool because you're paying attention to what you can do to better serve your clients. And anytime we can do that, I think we prosper. So, Lou, I think we could talk about you and, you know, Iron Cove Partners all day long. However, I have discovered that the best entrepreneurs are observers. So I love to ask my guest, who's someone out there that you see that you think what they're doing is really cool? They're crushing it. Hmm. I want, you know, I want to say, look, um, it's interesting. And this is not to stay within the family. Believe me, I want to support and, and, I, and I'm a big advocate for a lot of different things. Um, my my. And I go back to one. I have a younger brother who um, had a degree in at the, from the School of Visual Arts. was was a real expert in computers. Um, worked for some of the large banks and really learned a lot about uh, online. What's called lead generation and business generation. So basically, what he had built on his own was this platform where he was creating uh, campaigns. So let's say you were a retail business and you were creating alarm systems, you were selling alarm systems. He basically reached, you know, would, would, would have an alarm system company as a client and found how to optimize on the web um, and generate leads through a variety of different sources and then basically hand them over to, back to the company. And for years he did this and, and, and said, finally said to himself, hey, I figured out how to create business for so many other businesses i finally i would like to just do this for, for myself i just let's figure out what product we're going to do and really from scratch he said okay did a bunch of research and got involved in skincare and you know from cradle to grave met with I met with uh, certain individuals who had formulas that were proprietary bought the formulas brought the specs uh, to manufacturing plants in, in, in overseas, had now is having the product manufactured like these kind of organic skin creams and anti-aging creams. And now, you know, he did all the marketing with respect to the packaging and the bottling. And I'm, I'm just watching him start from what he just had was just a really was a brilliant marketer and understood the technology behind it, but then took it a kind of a step further and is now basically building his own skincare uh, <laughs> company. And I'm watching it happen, and it's really, really, I think, exciting for him. But even for us, like, you know, as just family and just as business owners watching, you know, want, watching what he's doing. That's awesome. And it, it's, it is pretty exciting to, to, to see how, you know, somebody could, can, can build that from scratch. So I think, and I think for me, the, you know, we sell more of a service than a tangible product. There's more of a security that people get by, you know, buying our products and we're more advisors than anything else. So there's something interesting and appealing to, to me, um, you know, about selling and doing different things and, and really kind of having a belief and an ownership in, in more of a product than, than a service offering. So, um, that's kind of what's inspired. I mean, I think I'm, I'm inspired by what he does 
and uh, you know, it's I think, exciting. I think for that's. Us to watch. I think that's great when you said, you know, hey, you know, I don't want to keep it in the family, but you talked about your brother. I think that's great. Anybody who listens to this show, I have uh, three older brothers, and two of them own their own businesses. In fact, we're all solopreneurs. We're all kind of one man shops for the most part, which is interesting because my dad worked for a large insurance company for his whole life. So that three out of the four of us, you know, are solopreneurs. I just find that to be an interesting statistic. But one of them is one of the top residential real estate appraisers in the San Francisco Bay area. And, you know, if you talk to realtors in San Francisco, they know track appraisal and they know my brother because he's the guy you go to. And my other brother lives in New York City area and he is unquestionably, according to him, the premier saxophone repairman in the whole, you know, tri-state area there. And, he is the guy you go to. I mean, all of the celebrities have their horns singerized. You know, they all want to have Bill Singer work on their horn. And, you know, so all the jazz musicians and everybody who plays saxophone knows him. So I don't think there's anything wrong about bragging on your brothers because if you listen to this show, you know, I talk about them all the time. Oh, that's great. That's great. No, I'm, there's probably, there's a lot of similarities, I think, between between us and, uh, and you know, so that's, ex- that's exciting. That's so, great. So the last question I ask everybody, because in addition to being great observers, I also think that great entrepreneurs want to do more than make money. They want to find their way to give back. So I love to ask people, what do you do to serve the greater good? Sure. Um, you know, and, and the, you know, going back, God, going back, you know, I'm in the business that I'm in now for 15 years. And there was a point in time where I couldn't help as much as I would have liked to financially, but I wanted just to give my you know, kind of sweat equity. So I had joined, um, there was something you know, I had gone to a charitable dinner for Cooley's anemia, which is, um, you know, it, which is Cooley's anemia foundation supports thalassemia, which is, um, a form of blood anemia that uh, impacts folks of Mediterranean descent. Interestingly enough, my wife had some fertility issues and we found out she was a carrier of thalassemia. I wasn't. So we were pretty safe. But on a, on a whim, I had gotten invited to a dinner that was supporting thalassemia. I don't know, this must have been at least 10 years ago. And a good buddy of mine who, again, I ran into him by accident, was being honored um, at this dinner. And I learned more, that night through their program and the money that they raised, I learned a lot about it. And I had gone up to the gentleman who kind of chaired their committee at the end of the night. I said, look, I'd love, I don't know what I can do to help, but I'd love to be more involved. This definitely has a direct impact in my family. My wife's a carrier. Um, you know, I know the gentleman who's being honored pretty well. So, you know, I gave him my card. He was, you know, he was kind of at the time a little, not, not standoffish or, Mm -hmm. but just, Oh, okay. Thanks. And I didn't think anything of it. And then that's that next, I think it was at, at the time we were in like November and that March I got an email and he said, hey, uh, Lou, it was great meeting you and would love for you to be part of our committee this year. So I'm like, OK, great. And and I've been, you know, so now I'm on the committee. I show up to that first meeting and even my buddy who was honored said, hey, Lou, great to see you. What are you doing here? And I told him how I had met the, 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 the chairperson and I gave him my card and I want to help and I don't know what I can do, but I'd love to help. And that's kind of how I started. And I just that year sold a bunch of journal ads for the for the foundation helped raise a bunch of money, um, you know, contributed a little bit to what, as much as I could at that time, you know, and 10 years later, I'm still on that committee. I'm still very involved. I still help them raise money. Um, we have a big gala every year. As a matter of fact, you know, two years ago, they made me the honoree for all the years that I helped. So, um, 
that's just one way. I mean, I was involved in and Cooley's Anemia is one example. I co-chaired a Coaches versus Cancer um, uh, event for, for the, the former coach of uh, Mo Cacera at Hofstra University. He was a basketball coach, and he they honored him. Um, and he was So we, I co-chaired an event with him there. So whether it was the uh, American Cancer Society or Cooley's Anemia or, you know, I've been part of uh, another, another golf committee where we raised a bunch of money for Bethany House, which is a shelter for, for homeless women and children. So I definitely am very, very involved from, from a philanthropic standpoint and a number of committees and the ones that I'm not directly involved with, we definitely have a fair amount of clients that have causes that are near and dear to their hearts. So we're, um, we're, we're, we're constantly supporting a variety of different, uh, different causes. Well, um, and, and that is fantastic. Cause I do think that's one of the things when we're successful, we have to find our way to support the greater good of our society. Cause if it's not for those of us who've been fortunate, you know, we're not going to be able to help tackle some of these causes. And yet with people who are committed, like you said, you were 10 years so far committed to this one organization. It's that longevity. You don't have to have a lot of money. I, I call it compounded generosity. You know, people in the financial services industry will tell you if you start saving early, the magic of compounded interest is going to let you retire with a lot of money. Of course, none of us ever do it. But if we start in our early 20s, it's going to be a lot easier when we're in our 60s and 70s. I believe the same thing is true for giving. If you start early, you don't have to have a lot of money. You don't have to be rich to impact a charity. If you just find little ways over a lifetime to continually give back, all of a sudden you turn around and it's like, wow, that's become big money. Sure. No, I couldn't agree more. And that was that's definitely a great piece of advice for any of those kind of younger entrepreneurs who are thinking about stuff. And they might sit there and say, well, I don't know what I can do or how I can make a difference. But you'd be surprised because you know those, those types of committees and there's different groups and different events that they have, or even if it's an event committee where you can just volunteer your time or help out the day of the event, that you know those kinds of people are always in need, and you'd be surprised how far that goes. And it's um, not so. it's not just money. Sometimes it's it's the time that you put in, and sometimes sure. it's just those good vibes. You know, supporting your friends who are on committees. You know, tweet about them, talk about them. You know, use your yes. social media ties. Um, so what we do, and people who listen regularly have heard this before, but I'll share the story again. Is we created an endowment to the local children's hospital because our youngest daughter, who who's now 13 and is fabulous, she's fine, she was born with a pretty serious birth defect where the bones in her skull had fused together. And the cure for not having a massive uh, deformity and, and maybe some brain damage from pressure was they were going to remove the entire cap of her skull when she was six months old. And, th- and that was really scary and it really sucked for our family to have to go through that. But a year later, the bones had grown back and her head was shaped the correct way, kind of like a cantaloupe and not a watermelon. And she was doing fine. And a couple years later, you know, we wanted to find a way to give back, but, but we weren't rich. And I couldn't find any way. And then they opened a new children's hospital where we lived. We had to, to travel in order to find the best doctors. And when they were opening the new children's hospital, I met with them and said, this is a cause that matters to me. But I don't have a lot of money, and I was just starting speaking. I still had a full-time job, but I was getting paid a little bit on the side to go speak at corporate events. And we just pledged a little teeny percentage of my speaking income. I had no idea I was going to become a full-time professional speaker. We just pledged a couple of percentage points, and every time I spoke, I wrote a check, and it was $50, $100, $75, $25. And over time, 
now and eight or nine years later between the two hospitals, the one locally and then the one where Kate was operated on, where we now split that percentages between the two, it's over $50,000 that the, the two hospitals have received. And we do a little fundraiser on Kate's birthday and ask people to give. And, and the numbers are going to continue to grow. And we're not rich. And, you know, my brother said it one time. He goes, we don't come from a family that has our name on the wall of a hospital. You know, how, how did you do that? But it was through this compounded generosity of just giving a little bit over seven, eight, nine years. And my daughter, who's 13, said to me the other day, maybe as I get a little older, I start taking that over and I start find ways to grow it even bigger. She's like, maybe it could be millions of dollars for research for craniofacial issues. And I was like, maybe, maybe. And, you know, it's just got to start small and you don't have to be rich and you don't have to give a lot of money. But if you do it consistently, you make an impact. And I believe in talking to you, that's exactly what you've done and what you're going to continue to do over the next 30 or 40 years of your career. Yeah, it's that initiative and just just kind of just jumping in the pool and just figuring it out. But like you said, uh, you know, your your story is is great. And it's that compassion that compounded effect of just doing the, trying to do the right thing, uh, over an extended period of time. And, and, you know, you know, people just recognize it and appreciate it. So, or at least you hope so. So Lou, Lou D'Agostino, thank you very much for being a guest on cool things entrepreneurs do. Tom, thank you for having me. You know, uh, I, I could talk about business all day and, and, uh, you know, you're an inspiration to me as well. So this was great that we kind of cross paths and connected. And, uh, you know, I look forward to, to hearing more of your podcasts in the future. And uh, again, I can't thank you enough for having me on. So. so if somebody wants to find out more about you or more about Iron Cove Partners, where do they go? Sure. Um, we have a website, Iron Cove. Uh, it's ironcoveins.com. Uh, we, we, have an, we have a blog that we write. Um, obviously, all all over social media. I'm pretty active in social media. I'm on Twitter. Um, you know, my personal Twitter handle is uh, Louis the Jet 27, <laughs> and uh, so and, and and my business Twitter handle is Iron Cove Insure. So I mean, Facebook, Twitter. I like uh, Lu- I like Louis the Jet better. Yeah. I think that's a that I think that one's more memorable than Iron Cove well, Insure. Th- that's what it's about. Right? That's what it's about. Some some a little <laughs> more a little marketing there. And believe me, I'm not the guy that ever tries to talk about for for many years. And I think people would tell you I didn't even bring up the fact that I ever played. And, um, you know, if it weren't for my brother in in meeting you or uh, one of my colleagues, I think mentioned that I had played and I had a story that was interesting because I played football and now I was in business. Yeah, it was, it um, it was your brother. He and I were talking and he got interested in the podcast and he goes, you need to interview Lou, my brother. And he pulled you over there and he goes, he used to be a, he used to be on the jets. Yeah. Right. So I won't talk about it, but I learned, you know, there are certain people, you know, we have a, look, a team gave me a uniform for a short period of time and I'm forever indebted to that to that to that organization. So you know, I'm a, I'm a fan, and you know it helps some folks connect with me. And maybe at least, if nothing else, they understand that uh, you know I, I I definitely worked hard and maybe earned their respect for a period <laughs> of my life. And uh, so I it's great, it's-, it's great. So I use that's my Twitter handle, and it, it helps me connect with people. And uh, and uh, if anybody wants to reach out to me, you can absolutely find me on there. Well, again, thank you so much for being here on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. And thanks to all of you who've listened. This episode was a little bit longer, but that's because Lou and I were having such a great conversation. I never want to stop anybody who has so much valuable information and is dropping those bombs of knowledge 
on the people who are listening to cool things. So uh, tune in in a couple of days. We'll have another interview with somebody just as interesting as Lou. And also, if you've been listening lately, I've been talking about the Cool Things Project, the group coaching program that I'm trying to put together. And we're starting to get some traction of some people who are saying, I want to be a part of it. It's going to be affordable. We're going to have weekly hangouts where we can sit and talk about what's going on in our entrepreneurial businesses. It's here just as much for me to learn as it is for you. So I've talked about it before. I won't go into it so much right now. But if you have an interest, send me an email at Tom, T-H-O-M, at TomSinger.com. And as soon as we get the right number of people and I get all the infrastructure in place, I'll let you know what we're doing and what it costs and how you can be a part of it. And I'm starting to get really excited because some really cool people are saying, I want to play in that pool. So it's going to be fun. So tune in a couple days and listen to our next show. But in the meantime, I want you to go out there and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at at TomSinger. This podcast was produced in part by Podfly.net. Podfly, passion for great sounding podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.